challenge. Becoming a participant Christian. Becoming a participant Christian. The idea moving from hearing to doing. We'll look there in James chapter number 1 and verse 19. And why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege to stand and proclaim your word once again. And Lord, we ask that you would help us in a special way tonight. God, that this message, perhaps while simplistic in delivery, God would be sovereign in nature and that God, you would get the glory and the honor. And Lord, you would change our lives today. God, move our lives of Christian apathy, God, to Christian service. And Lord, please help us. We ask this in your name. Bless everything in this service. Amen. You may be seated. I would also like to read Romans 10, 17 in your hearing. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Again, the idea that we're moving from hearing to doing, and I want to be clear that I don't ever estimate one over the other, and hopefully by the end of the message, uh, the Lord will have helped all of us. But we are living in an information age. We... We can have something take place, and within a matter of minutes, we can know about it. I'll give you a prime example. I'll be on my way home from work, and I make a habit to call my wife when I leave to let her know I'm on my way. And I may be talking with her on the phone, and I'll get on 321, and traffic will be backed up more than it is in a normal round. And she'll say, do you need to get off? And I'll get off the phone, and I'll pull up Google Maps... And I will search my route from where I am to the house to find out if there's been a crash. And the vast majority of the time, I can get the information within a matter of minutes. I don't have to wait to get up to the crash scene. I can see there's, it'll have the little icon. How many of you have ever done this? Google my, have the little icon, it'll say plus 14 minutes, plus 13 minutes. And you're looking to see if you should route around the airport and your different way. Because we live in an information age. And it's not just the amount of information, but it is the, the, how quickly we can get it. There are at least 5.57 billion web pages. 5.57 billion web pages. Google Books estimates there are about 130 million books in existence, and about 2 million are published worldwide annually. We are definitely not starved for knowledge. We have more information today, which stands to reason because we've been in existence longer. 
So what does that mean? We have a lot of knowledge, but it doesn't mean we use it well. Have a lot of information, but it doesn't mean we apply it well. We can now perform our own medical diagnosis, WebMD. We can rebuild the engines in our vehicles. We can even perform open heart surgery now because of YouTube. I don't know that I would want anybody doing that that's having to have their phone beside them while they're performing operation on me. But I'm not mechanically inclined. And one time my brother and I were replacing the slave cylinder in his transmission in a five-speed Chevy work truck. And we had to drop the transmission to get to that. Him and I, neither one, had no idea what we were doing. But laying out with that car on a gravel driveway, we managed to drop the transmission and managed to replace the slave cylinder, and it was drivable when we got done. (laughs) But what I did not tell you, we both had smartphones under the car with us, and when we got to a point where like something's not working here, we would YouTube and watch the next section of the video and say, got it. And we'd reach up there and get the bolt, and lo and behold. So there's a lot of things we do now because of the information. But the alarming thing that I want to use all of that to present to us today is that we as Christians have been entrusted with a wealth of knowledge. And we aren't using it well. And we can't blame the world for not handling the knowledge that encompasses our world today. Well, there's an issue when we as Christians are not using the knowledge that God has given us. God has given us the most valuable knowledge. The most valuable instruction. His very own Word. His book. And for so many, we treat it as nothing more than an ornament of our religion. Oh, we'll proclaim we carry the King James Bible. We'll proclaim and we'll carry our Bibles to and from church because it's nothing more than just the ornament. It is that thing that you're supposed to adorn religion with. But we don't use it well. The Bible is Jesus in written format. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 1.14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We literally, as Christians, we have the privilege to have Jesus Christ, not only as a physical presence in our life, but we have a Jesus Christ in written format today. He is the truth. He was the Word. is the Word. And we neglect Him so very much. We're instructed as we read to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. But I guess the question comes, how do we move from hearing to doing? How do we move from sitting under Sunday school class? You take today at Solid Rock Baptist Church, for example. We started early this morning at an 8.40 bus meeting. We would start with an open assembly, move to a Sunday school class. After Sunday school, we would start the main service and a junior church service. We would leave, we would come back at 5 o'clock, we would have the Lord's Supper, leave, come back at 5 o'clock for a leadership class, be back at 6 o'clock for an evening service. We are here and teaching and preaching, and can I say this place here, we get a first class. And we're hearing it, and hearing it, and hearing it, and hearing it, and hearing it. But how do we follow the command 
that we move from hearing it to doing. May I say the fact of the matter is not one is more important than the other. Hearing is not the most important, nor is doing the most important. We have a tendency as Christians to go to the Word of God, choose the side of the balance or the equation that fits our life the best, and twist it or manipulate it to apply to excuse our behavior. We have a tendency to go to the Word of God to find why we can get Bible. So let me give you an example. 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or in the height of his stature, because I have refused him. And notice the next phrase. We, we love this. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. When David was being anointed king here, and that's the verse we'll run to when we don't want to have a dress standard. That's the verse we'll run to when we want to act any way we want to act. Because we tell everybody, well, the Lord's looking on my heart. But why do we have to read the verse and look at it for a reason to excuse ourselves instead of make ourselves more accountable? Would you look for a moment at that verse a little close, more closely with me, please? For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance. All we're learning in the contrast, but the Lord looketh on the heart. We're learning in contrast why we ought to have a right heart because the Lord sees that. But we also should apply it in the fact the reason I dress to represent the Lord is there's an outward world that's looking on the outside because they cannot see my heart the way God can see my heart. But we go to the Word of God and we look for a reason. We look at the Bible for uh, an excuse rather than an example. We run to that passage and instead of saying, here's an example for why I dress the way I dress and why I behave the way I behave and why I manage my outside to represent Jesus Christ like I manage my inside is because we want to excuse ourselves from the accountability of the Word of God. And we're not interested in being a participant Christian. We want to profess but not participate. We have to learn to look at the Bible for an example, not an excuse. We have to look at the Bible for the reason rather than the reason not to. Instead of the reason to skirt by, we need the reason to separate and to serve. We need to move beyond hearing to doing. I believe there's one word. It's not mentioned in this passage. But if you look up hearing throughout the Bible, the word listen appears one time in the Bible. Hearing is the word that is used throughout the Bible. But there's something that separates. There's two types of hearing, if I may. There's the hearing that we heard, but then there's the hearing that leads to a heeding. And the word heed has the idea to mind, to regard with care, to take notice of, to attend, to observe. In other words, it means you hear it and you act upon it. You don't just hear it and ignore it. And I believe that word heeding is what separates whether we are hearers only or doers of the word. Don't we feel pretty good about ourselves when we support the right preacher? We support the right ministries? We follow the right pages on Facebook? We follow the right song groups and we're not into the contemporary music. And don't we feel good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back? But we do nothing to further the kingdom of God. I don't want to bust your bubble or kick your wagon of little toys over. But 
because I like the right preachers and because I go to the right church and because I do the right things and because I like certain things that are proper and appropriate doesn't further the kingdom of God. I can like all the fundamental Baptist pages in the world. I can listen to preaching every day of my life. But my listening and my following does nothing to help somebody else come to Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in a spectating sport of Christianity. I want to be a participant. I want to serve God. So how do we get ourselves motivated to do something for God? How are we going to help the next generation have a desire for God? I believe there are several things we can do that we learn from the Word of God. Most of these points will go quickly. There's one that I really want to leave you with tonight. But how are we going to be more than hearers and learn to heed? What can we apply to our life? You know, I'm weary of being surrounded by professing Christians but not participating Christians. Professing Christians, oh yeah, I believe in God. But when the moment's right, it's okay to cuss. Professing Christians, oh, I believe in God. But when the moment's right, we give ourselves liberty to fly off the handle and misrepresent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Participating Christians say, God, what would you have me to do? And so tonight I'm telling you, if we're going to move from being a spectator to a participant, if we're going to be more than hearing the Word but doing the Word, I think there's a few things we can do. And we're talking much deeper, much, much deeper than just professing. Anybody can profess the Lord. Number one, I believe we have to purpose to live the Bible. We have to purpose to live the Bible. I think, first of all, we have to live it personally. I had a conversation this week at work. Somebody had asked me about a song or something, and I, I had no idea what they were asking me. And most of the people I work with will claim to have a Christian background. And the other person in the office said, he doesn't listen to contemporary Christian music. They said, you don't listen to that? Well, what do, you, what do you listen to? And I had to explain. Wow. I want to live it personally. Yes. If for no other reason. It's bigger than me. But I've got two little ones over there. That whatever I live, they're going to be a little bit less. Rest assured. Mom, Dad, the standards you and I hold in our lives will be lessened every generation. So when you're making decisions on what they can wear, what they can listen to, what, well, they're just teenagers, they need that space. They don't need that space. They need standards. They need high standards. And it's a battle. And I'll tell you this, it's a battle within the family. But you'll give the account. We must live it personally. But then not only should we live it personally, we, we live it publicly. 
say, oh, I'm too, too bashful, I'm too shy. Probably because you have something to be bashful and shy about. If you live it personally, you can live it publicly. The Bible should not be for information only, but for application. I don't think God wrote this book for us so we could come and preach week after week after week after week and just hear information. I believe God's intent was that we would be doers of the Word. That we would apply the Word to our lives. Not only should we purpose to live the Bible, we should purpose to lean on the Bible. Lean on the Bible. We should lean in dependence. Can I encourage you, never stray from the fact that this book has the answer for everything in life. Do not stray from the dependence upon the Word of God. The day and hour we live, it's all about our own rights, our own doings, and what we can do on ourselves. And people look at you funny when you say, well, I'm just trying to be sensitive to the Lord and figure out what He would have me to do. I'm depending on Him to guide me. I'll make decisions at work sometimes and folks will say, I like this better. And I say, well, I'm just going to... My my saying, I say this a lot, is I'm going to be able to lay my head on my pillow tonight. That's hard. But this dependency is when we lean lean on the Bible for dependency, but then we should lean on the Bible for direction. Proverbs 3, 6, In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. All thy ways. All thy ways. I wonder how different our dress would be if we asked the Lord what we should wear that day. How different would our music and our automobile be between the house and work be if we asked the Lord for direction of what He would be pleased with? How different would our speech be if we asked God to govern our tongue today and to direct us in what would please Him? How different would our choices be on a Wednesday night and a Sunday night or during Sunday school if we ask God to direct our choices. If we lean on the Bible, not only we lean on, we should purpose to look to the Bible. Number three, purpose to look to the Bible. Hebrews 12, 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, we should look to the Bible for those decisions. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and finisher of our faith, and a determination that we will finish the course. Because He is the author. Not he, he, he began it. We've heard it more here lately, it seems like, but the pastor is always saying it's easy to start something, but it's another thing to finish it and to keep it going, the maintenance from start to finish. I want to say Jesus authored it. He started and He's already the finisher. And so He is. We can determine to finish well and look to the Bible. Number four. We should purpose to learn the Bible. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word there that I want to give you when we're talking about the learning the Bible, it is the idea of dispersing. Dispersing. Learning, not for my own knowledge, but for others. Knowledge not shared is useless. You can be the smartest man in the world and never open your mouth, never write anything, and it'd be useless. And that, what that means is the energy you invested into that knowledge is useless and wasted. 
It is sad, sad, sad. So many will spend thousands to learn, have degrees, but never help others. Have the ability, the knowledge, but never do it. Knowledge is a great tool. And it's a great thing only if we apply it. And that is where wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge applied. We gain wisdom by applying knowledge and living. You ever met somebody, they're super smart, but they're dumb. They have no common sense. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A man at work will tell me, I say, they just like common sense. He said, that ain't a flower that grows in everybody's garden. (laughs) And... uh, but they're, they're genius, literally. But if they had to make a decision of common living decision, they're, they're in a pickle. They have no idea. You know why? Because they don't use their knowledge to apply to help others. They've never applied it, so they've not gained the wisdom for practical Christian living or practical living at all. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Knowledge we gain by the studies and the works. Wisdom is when we begin to apply it. And we learn through trial and error. That does mean we mess up. Brother Ronnie referenced this today in the leadership, taking responsibility. The idea of saying when you you take responsibility, knowing that there will be times you'll mess up. He referenced somebody working for him that would ask him 50 questions. And by the time he got all 50 questions, he could have just done it. And I felt that same pressure. work. I'm like, yeah, I'll just go do it myself. (laughs) Because they're afraid to act on the responsibility. But the knowledge... We should learn the Bible. I want to tell you, just because you know all 66 books of the Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, because you know the New Testament starts with Matthew, and because you know Proverbs is a book of wisdom, that's fine and dandy, but that's useless. You need to know what the 66 books say if we're going to change lives and help others. Not only should we learn the Bible, but number five, we should purpose to linger in the Bible. Psalms 1-2, but His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law doth He meditate day and night. Psalms 119-15, I will meditate in Thy precepts and have respect unto Thy ways. I've been guilty, 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 guilty. When it's time for my daily Bible reading, it's more like a marathon instead of a meditation. That way I can feel good about myself that I read my old, my new, and one in the middle. Convicting to me is how much easier it is for me to linger on Facebook than with my face in God's book. Now, I've been pretty transparent. But I can sit on Facebook and I can do this for a long time. But when I get this book, and I start trying to do this, I start. Just like I'd say many people would struggle. But I have to purpose to linger in God's Word if I'm ever going to apply and be a participant Christian. Purpose to linger there. Number six, purpose to love the Bible. Purpose to love the Bible. The word I want to give you there is dominantly. Let it dominate your life. Now the first thing that we have to establish is that love is a choice, not a feeling. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love is a choice. No more than you and I would feel apt to give our son for a lost and dying world. I'm going to make a, uh, my personal thoughts here. If you'd ask God, how do you feel? Well, I really don't want to. I love my son. But because I love the world, I'm going to make the choice that's greater than my feelings to present my son a living sacrifice. It's a choice. See, if you and I wait to read the Bible until we're in love with it, it won't happen. It won't. You get over in Leviticus and Numbers and read all who begat who, begat who, begat who, you're not going to fall massively in love with the Word of God. I know you're not supposed to say this kind of stuff while you're preaching, but you're not. Those are, that's some tough reading. If we wait, if we expect every time we open the Bible that the heavens are going to open up, we won't read it. There have been many times I've read my Bible and said, what did I just read? Well, but there's been times I've read my Bible and later, after lingering on a little bit, God shows me something. We ought to love the Bible. I, as a Christian, must hold a conviction to love God's Word supremely. Not a feeling. God, help me love Your Word. No, God, I'm going to love Your Word. I'm going to hold the conviction that Your Word is going to be loved in my life, whether I like it or not. I am going to love Your Word to the point that when, you know the three security questions they ask you when you're setting up your online junk and they're like, you know, favorite color, maiden name, and then what's your favorite book? You ought to put Bible there by conviction. If we're true born-again believers, I put Bible there by conviction. There ought to be a hiccup in our life when we're asked, what's your favorite book? And this book doesn't pop to mind. So it's tough reading. It's a conviction. It's a choice I make to love this book. And we ought to hiccup a little bit if the first thing pops in our mind is some romance novel or some other trash or garbage that we fill our mind with outside the Word of God. So I choose the Bible by conviction. And then lastly, and and the one that I want to spend the most time on, is number seven. We have to purpose to listen to the Bible. We have to purpose to listen to the Bible. I I want to give you some definitions in our language today. That will help us. I've already told you, if you look up listen, it's in the Bible one time. Hearing is the Bible term. But there's a word, when you heed, that's what makes the difference whether we respond to the Word of God or not. And, but for our, for our the culture we live in, hearing, simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. If you are not hearing impaired, hearing simply happens. That's hearing. In other words, that's when you stand over here and you're in a conversation with somebody and you overhear the other one and you start eavesdropping because you're nosy and you want to know what they say. Because you heard it. You weren't actually planning to be in that conversation. You were in your own. Listening is something you consciously choose to do. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. 
That's the difference. Hearing happens. Hearing is kind of a haphazard. Listening is a conscious, purposeful choice. As a father, I want my children to hear me. But more than that, I want them to listen to me. So what's the difference? When I'm asking them to listening, it carries with it the thought of a response. I want them to respond, to act on, to move. Today, my wife let me know that I was hearing her but not listening to her. I told her, I said, it's funny you should say that. I'm preaching on that tonight. (laughs) Um, I was practicing for the message, okay? And... uh, (laughs) Because she said, all you're saying is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I said my mind somewhere else. But anyways, um, I want them to listen to me. It's a thought of response. Listening is the path to doing, and it grows out of faith. Listening is the path to doing, and it grows out of faith. Today, Aslan, and I don't remember exactly, but I asked her to do something. She said, oh, it won't do that. I said, trust me. Trust me. I wanted her to trust her father that I was looking out for her best interest. It grows my faith. When I listen, it grows my faith. There's two types of faith. And please, please, please pay attention and don't misunderstand. Number one, there's faith experienced. This is my salvation experience. <laughs> Basically, you and I did nothing at this time of faith in our life to plan it. No, 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 no. Now hear me all the way out, please. I understand we take that step of faith. But up until we come to that time when that faith is introduced to us, we're not, we're hearing. That's why the Bible says faith cometh by hearing. We weren't planning on listening to God that day. God spoke, we heard, we perceived the sound spiritually, and we made the step. That's, we experienced faith. That's faith experienced. And, and hearing gives us an encounter. It gives us an encounter, hearing. Now number two, there's faith exercised. Faith experienced is my salvation. Faith exercised is my service. It is when we are purposefully engaging ourselves to hear from God. 1 Samuel 3.10 And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak for thy servant, Heareth. The word heareth is you. But notice Samuel has engaged with God. He said, speak, I'm listening. I'm hearing what you're saying. Yes, the first two times that this occurred, Samuel got up and, and, and didn't know who was hollering for him. And he said, go back and say, well, next time you hear it, say, Lord, speak, thy ser- speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Those times he just perceived sound. This time he was engaging himself with God. Listening. We said hearing gives an encounter. Listening causes an engagement. It means we're engaging ourselves for what God has commanded or asked of us to do. We are engaging with the Lord. Now I'm going to say this. It does not take faith to come to church. I'm going to say this. It doesn't take faith to tithe. Those are acts of obedience. Now, the repercussions of what comes from those acts of obedience may take faith. For example, when we're instructed 
We'll have to work late on a Wednesday night. We say, I've got to leave. I'm going to church. They say, oh, well, you may not have a job. That's where faith is. Faith says, what do I do now? Obedience is being here. That's not faith. Us coming to church tonight, we didn't exercise faith. We exercised obedience. When we put our tithes in the, in the plate, that's obedience. Faith is when we do that when we know there's one bill we couldn't cover because we're paying our tithes. Faith is believing God anyways. Faith is believing God to obey even when it doesn't make sense. But we're, we, we've, we've misaligned those terms in this vocabulary to think that us coming to church, singing the right songs, being in the choir, we're living a life of faith. We're not. We're living a life of obedience, and that's good. But we've not stepped into the faith life. And we as Christians have got the wrong, those vocabularies crossed. We're almost where they're synonymous. Obedience and faith are two different things. May I say faith by itself is of no value. Faith by itself is of no value. Much, much like knowledge. Not used, it's of no value. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Would you think with me to Hebrews chapter 11? We call it the great hall of faith. <clears throat> you don't read anywhere in that chapter. They had faith, so their, their name's in this hall of, hall of faith. Let me tell you what you read. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Enoch was translated that he would not see death. Noah prepared an ark. Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. Sarah received strength to conceive seed. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob, when dying, blessed the sons of Joseph. Joseph mentioned the departing of the children of Israel. Moses' parents hid him. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Joshua led around the walls of Jericho. Rahab received the spies with, spies with peace. But then there's another group, others. Notice what's said about them. And what, more, what shall I more say? For the time shall fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of Je- David also and Samuel and of the prophets. Listen, who through faith, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stalked the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in flight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. That's a far cry from they went to church. And there's more as you read on down to the end of the chapter. It goes on and on. And the travail and the battles that rage for people of faith. It wasn't they paid their tithes, went to church three times a week, and they had faith. They made a decision to act upon their faith. True faith is an engaging faith that we have a whole lot of Christians. We hear, but we never listen. Therefore, we never engage in faith. True faith is an engaging faith. True faith. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just hear. I want to listen and heed and act upon this faith life. Where are we tonight? I'm thankful that I've experienced faith, my salvation. But I want to exercise it. And I want to engage it. I do this by listening. And would you please hear me out here as we close out? 
We have to be careful that we don't make more of the doing than we do the being. And we have to be careful we don't make more of being the Christian than we do the doing of the Christian. God didn't say, forget about being a hearer. After you've heard it, forget it. Be a doer. Be you doers of the Word, not hearers only. God expects both. May I tell you this? Lazy Christians will promote being overdoing. Lazy Christians will promote being overdoing. They don't want to do the hard thing. Lousy Christians will promote doing over being. They don't want to do the hard thing. So what's the hard thing? Balance. Balancing, hearing, and doing. Because God expects both. See, lazy Christian doesn't like the idea of getting up on Saturday morning for a bus meeting and knocking doors. They're afraid of what might be on the other side of the door. So they say, boy, I'm at home and I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying and i got Gospel 9 blaring right open and God's just having a fit with me and we're just meeting. They're lazy. And then a lousy Christian doesn't like the thought, read this whole book. Oh, Oh, but I tell you what, I'm going to be there. I'm going to wash the windows in the church. I'm going to drive the bus. I'm going to be the bus captain. I'm going to be the lady worker and the mail worker. I'm going to do it all. Because I just can't handle the thought of having to read the Bible and apply it in my life. They're lousy. One without the other does no good. We work ourselves. We work, 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 work. And we never spend time with God. Run ourselves ragged. Or we read, 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 and we never do anything for God. There's never any fruit in our life. God expects both. Not only does He want my personal relationship, but He wants my personal responsibility. And we as Christians, our relationship to God is where it all begins. But we have a personal responsibility to a lost and dying world. And to be more than a spectator. And this thing of serving God. Pastor.